with me in God's holy word to the book of Romans. Our text this morning, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And before we read that portion of scripture, uh, Mike, if you, maybe Justin, would you hand out one of those to everybody? That would be great. Um, Normally, uh, I don't hand out outlines, but today we're going to try to cover a lot of ground, and I thought it might be helpful uh, for us to have this uh, outline of Romans chapter 2. So that's what uh, you have before you, and uh, we will, as soon as everybody gets one, we'll read our text together, and then we'll pray, and then we will dig in, and all I'm going to say is, fasten your seatbelts, okay? All right, hear now the word of the living God, Romans chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? 
You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, please come now by your spirit and help us to understand what you have recorded for us accurately. Lord, give us eyes to see uh, the arguments that are put forth, that are hammering home the message that we all need Jesus if we would be right with you. Lord, we make our prayer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, the book of Romans is a book about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul had declared in verse 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The way we're right with God is faith in Jesus. And so the rest of Romans chapter 1 has focused on why the pagans need the gospel. And the pagans need the gospel because of their paganism, because of their barbaric thinking and living. Because they are at war with Almighty God in an open, blatant manner. And now the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, writes God's very word. And in chapter 2 and on into chapter 3, he now turns and says, well, why does the Jew need the gospel? And his answer is, because the Jew also is under the exact same condition, the exact same problem. The Jew also sins, is full of sin. These verses in Romans chapter 2 contain five arguments that the Apostle Paul builds one upon another pressing home that truth that both Jew and Gentile need the gospel. Now over in chapter 3, I want you to see where he ends up coming to. Look at verse 23, and we'll start reading in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And his argument is that both Jew and Gentile, 
That's what he's referring to, this distinction between Jew and Gentile. For there is no distinction for all, both Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's where the Apostle Paul is going to take us. And I I wanted to jump ahead and read those verses because that is the good news. That is the relief. But Romans chapter 2 is going to pile argument upon argument showing that it's not just the pagan, barbaric Gentiles that have a sin problem. The Jew also. And before you think, well, I'm glad I don't struggle with this uh, problem of looking down on those who are pagan. I want you to think in terms of those who have the word of God those who had the privilege of having been taught about the things of God, those who are very familiar with God's standard of right and wrong. Let's go back now to Romans chapter 2 and begin looking at these arguments. He has just finished talking about the Uh, uh, pagans who did not see fit to acknowledge God. And they were so wicked that they not only did all of these sinful things, but they were cheerleaders for others to join with them in doing these sins that they know in their heart of hearts leads to death. And so he begins now saying, well, what about the Jew? If the pagans need the gospel, does the Jew need the gospel? If a Gentile needs the gospel, what about our Jewish friends? Do they need the gospel? And in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And obviously the answer is no. If, if I condemn what is wicked in God's sight and then I turn around and do the very thing I'm condemning, does that let me off the hook? Of course not. As a matter of fact, it just amplifies the fact that I have even more light. Now, the Lord Jesus... Uh, one of the most uh, misquoted uh, passages of Scripture in our day and time uh, is judge not lest you be judged. But most people just stop with judge not. And we're going to look at that here in just a second. But in John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Everybody is required to make judgments day in and day out. Um, Should I eat this food that I've just gotten out of the refrigerator that is growing green, fuzzy stuff? Probably not. You just made a judgment. Should I stop at the stop sign or just kind of sail on through? You just made a judgment. We all are constantly making judgments. And the Lord Jesus instructs us that we need to judge rightly. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 7, the passage that I was referring to just a moment ago, uh, which is uh, perverted in our day and time, people use this passage as if to say, we ought never tell somebody else that what they're doing is wrong. That's how people twist this uh, passage of Scripture. They say, judge not. And they basically put a period there. But that's not what it says. It says, judge not lest you be judged. For with the measure you pronounce, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, Jesus is saying, not, don't judge. He's saying, be careful how you judge. Before you judge another person, he goes on, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so when we make judgments, which we must do, and we're obligated to do, we must judge rightly. We must take the word of God. And Jesus instructs us to apply it first to ourselves. And then, after we get the log, after I get the log out of my own eye, then I can see clearly to help my brother with the speck of sawdust. And what a contrast. I've got a log I need to get out of my eye. I mean, can you imagine me walking up to you and, and, and I've got a, a literal log sticking out of my eye and I go, oh, you know, I think you have a speck of sawdust in your eye. Let me help you. I mean, it's absurd. And that's the point that Jesus is making, that we need to judge ourselves with God's holy standard of right and wrong first. And then... As we are humbled before the Lord and confessing our sin to the Lord Jesus, then we will be able to help our brother. The Lord Jesus also in James chapter 3 said, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness we will be judged with a greater strictness. So, um, the problem of sin, the Apostle Paul is arguing now, is common to all men. And here we have the Jew, the religious person, who knows the standard of right and wrong and is looking at the Gentile and says, yuck. But the problem is that the Jew also struggles with the exact same sin. Now, you might think at first glance, as we've gone through this passage, you remember we looked at the sin of homosexuality and lesbianism as being sort of the culmination of God's judgment on a culture that turns away from the living God. It's not the only sin that will take people to hell, but it will. And the Lord Jesus reminds us in his word that this sin was not unique to pagans. We're not going to take the time, but you can jot down the following passages. In the book of Judges, chapter 19, we see that there was a whole tribe of the nation of Israel at that time, the tribe of Benjamin, that was permeated with that particular sin. Judges 19. Or we could go over to Leviticus chapter 18 and read a catalog of the sins that God warned his people not to embrace. 
that were sins of the pagans because he said, if you do, the land, the promised land, has vomited out the inhabitants of that land because of their wickedness. And if you embrace these sins, I will do the same thing to you. And that is indeed, literally, what happened. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, the Lord referred to his people, his people, as Sodom and Gomorrah because of the atrocities that they were committing, that in God's sight that they were just like that. Or we could go over to Ezekiel chapter 16 and see where the Lord described his people as being like their sister Sodom, who had great affluence and was full of arrogance and refused to give thanks to God and because of that became full of perversions. No, uh, these sins are common to all mankind, both Jew and Gentile. Now, the religious person works harder to keep up a front. That is true. But in the heart, it is the same problem. Underneath if you pull the curtain back. And that's what Jesus was dealing with in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard it said of old, you shall not murder, but I say to you, Jesus is not setting aside the Old Testament law. Jesus is not adding a higher standard. He is just simply reiterating and declaring what God had intended all along, that it was not only wrong to take a knife and stick it in somebody, that is true, but if we have hatred in our heart against another person, we have committed murder in our heart. Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if a man looks at a woman to lust for her in his heart, he has committed adultery already in his heart. And so uh, you see Jesus is pressing this truth in the Sermon on the Mount that the Apostle Paul now brings forth, this argument that it's not just the Gentile, it's not just the pagan who needs the gospel, but the Jew also, because the Jew also struggles with the exact same sin. And we who know the truth of God's word, it's easy for us to look uh, at someone who has gender trans uh, dysphoria, uh, a, a transgender person, and go, uh, at least I know I'm a man or a woman. But you see, apart from the grace of God, that's where I would be. That's where you would be. Uh, it, it's a humbling thing. It's something we need to take to heart. And so these arguments, you see, are, are very pertinent. They're very important for us to notice. The second argument... I want you to look. It's in verses 4 through 11. Both Jew and Gentile need the gospel. And this was proven in this argument by God's righteous judgment on all men. Both Jew and Gentile are going to stand before God on the great judgment day. Not only do we see that both Jew and Gentile need the gospel because uh, people judge right and wrong in history, and they know, the Jew knows, that's not right. But they, in their heart, struggle with the same thing. They also, so do we. Well, we're all going to stand before God on the judgment day. 
Look at verses 4 and following. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What should be the case with every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever lived in light of all the goodies that God showers upon us? Food, clothing. Have you ever eaten anything that your taste buds just danced? You thought, woo, now that is good. What should that cause us to do? It ought to cause us to break out in praise to Almighty God. Uh, when we see a beautiful sunset, have you ever enjoyed just the, the magnificent beauty of a sunset? What should that cause us to do? It ought to cause us to just repent of our sin and turn to the living God in the Lord Jesus and say, oh, Lamb of God, thank you for restoring me so that I can praise the artist who painted this incredible sunset. I know that you did this with your hand, Almighty God, and I just rejoice to be your little child. These gifts ought to lead us to repentance. But what is our tendency? Not just the pagan denies that, but even the person who's religious, the Jew, the professing Christian, what are we so often doing? We don't praise God when our taste buds <clears throat> dance. We don't stand in awe of the artist who displays his glory all around us. Verse 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. In other words, on the judgment day, God's not going to say, Oh, you're a Jew. Oh. It doesn't matter how you've lived. It doesn't matter whether you've loved and obeyed me. You're, you're good to go. No. God is going to bring forth the evidence of whether we belong to him or not. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. A person who says they love God but they are breaking God's holy commandments is just lying, living a lie. A person who says to another human being, I love you, and they're breaking God's holy commandments, they're lying. Uh, they may call it love, but it's actually hate. If you are doing what God says is wicked to another person, that's not love. In our, in, our, in our day and time, you have many women living together, sleeping together, and they call it love. No, it's not. If it's outside the bounds of marriage, it's hate. It's not love. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is bringing us to see now, that being a Jew, it just adds responsibility, the more light, Jesus says, that we have, the more we are responsible. Turn with me quickly in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And here is a passage where the Lord says, now everybody is going to answer for their sin, but the more light we have, the more God requires of us. And so, uh, look at verse 47. And that servant 
who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Jesus is using uh, this uh, a parable of describing uh, the great day. And he says it's like a man who has servants. And he said, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be taking care of my house while I'm gone. And he leaves and then he comes back and... He calls them to account. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act in accordance to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Now they both have to answer for their wrongdoing. But notice the one who had the more light his judgment is even greater. And so Jesus applies it. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now that's what the argument is here in Romans chapter 2. Uh, does the Jew need the gospel? Does the religious person need the gospel? Yes, we do. We need it because we know so much more about what's right or wrong, and yet we find ourselves doing what? Thinking and acting just like pagans at times. Oh, how I need the gospel. How you need the gospel. The third argument in verses 12 and following, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now Jesus is not teaching us in this passage of Scripture through the Apostle Paul works righteousness. What he's doing is he's talking about the evidence that will be brought forth on the great judgment day. And it's fascinating. When you go back and look in the Gospels, uh, you see Jesus doing this over and over and over. Uh, for example, in Matthew 25, uh, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, and he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me and so forth and so forth. Uh, he's not saying because you did these things, that's what made you a Christian. He's pointing to the evidence, the fruit of a genuine, lively faith in Jesus. We're saved by what? The grace of God. We're saved not by our works. But as Ephesians chapter 2 declares, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is pointing to here now in this third argument, uh, that everything is going to be revealed on the great day. Nothing that is going to be hidden will stay hidden. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Well, people may think that they can sneak around and do what is wrong in God's sight, but there's a day coming when everything will be revealed. Oh, how we need a Savior. And the only Savior is Jesus. In verse 
14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There's a day coming when both Jew and Gentile are going to have all their secrets revealed. And if those secret sins are not confessed in this life and covered with the blood of Jesus, do you think that just because a person is a Jew, God will say, oh, you're, you're good, come on. What, what about a professing Christian? You've been baptized. You're a member in good standing in the church. You attend services. But you're looking at pornography through the week. Those secret sins will be revealed. Oh, Jesus says, it's not enough to just have the outward trappings. Jesus calls us to be repenting of our sins and believing in the Lord Jesus. Both Jew and Gentile all need the gospel. And then the fourth argument. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Here we see that both Jew and Gentile need the gospel. The Jew needs the gospel because he's a teacher. God told his people that they were to be an example to the other nations of the world. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Lord said, the other nations of the world are going to look at Israel and they're going to say, What nation is like this nation who has laws that are so holy and righteous and good as this nation? And they ought to attract the other nations of the world to the gospel, to the Christ. You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You remember the woman who was caught in adultery that's recorded for us in John chapter 8? And how uh, it was a trap for Jesus. They didn't care about justice. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about righteousness. All they wanted to do was score some points to make Jesus look bad. And they asked Jesus, what do you say? Should we set aside what Moses said? Uh, Are you going to go soft on sin? And it's a fascinating passage because the Lord Jesus, he upheld all of the details of the law. He wasn't setting the law aside. But he brought all of the rules of evidence and justice to bear. And he said, well, uh, the law says there needs to be uh, two or three witnesses. Uh, Guys, which one of y'all are going to step forward and admit that you uh, participated? Um, And beginning with the oldest down to the youngest, They left. The Lord Jesus here is is pressing home uh, that it's not enough to know the word of God. 
Pastor Samuel this morning in the Sunday school class, he made reference that the Pharisees, they had to memorize all the law of the Old Testament. You had to be recite, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the case laws to become a Pharisee. Just take off and you could, all those laws. And yet Jesus referred to them as blind gods. He said that they had read and memorized Moses and yet they did not believe in Moses. The Lord Jesus, he says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Um, here, here is this picture of God's people gathering together. And the Lord says that we are the temple of the living God, his people. He has caused us uh, to be a people if we uh, belong to Jesus. And have you ever lived in such a way that shows dishonor to the Lord Jesus? I've been an unfit dwelling place many times. Uh, I've grieved the Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever said ugly words out of your mouth to a family member? Uh, have you ever uh, uh, done things that you're ashamed of? Oh, you who boast in the law dishonored God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so that's his fourth argument. Uh, the hypocrisy of teachers. And that's why Jesus tells us in James 3, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, because those who will teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And then his final argument, the fifth argument, we see in verses 25 through 29. Both Jew and Gentile need the gospel, and it's proven by the Jews' foolish reliance on the outward sign rather than the reality that the sign pointed to. The, the, the Old Testament mark that you belong to God was for the males to be circumcised. And so, in verse 25, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And even in the Old Testament, over and over, God told his people, listen, uh, this sign, this symbol of redemption is just that. And that's not all you need. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Moses, when he was calling the children of God to love the Lord and fear him and walk in his ways, he says in verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskins of your heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses told the people that their hope for the future was that God himself would come and circumcise their hearts so that they would love the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 4, the Lord says, you... In Jeremiah's day, you're in big, big trouble. You're not right with me, the living God. And you need a new heart. You need your heart circumcised. 
And over in Jeremiah chapter 9, the Lord says that the children of Israel were in his sight all uncircumcised. Now they had outward circumcision, but they had uncircumcised hearts. And so that's his final argument showing that uh, the Jew is in the same, same state as the pagan when it comes to in being need of a Savior. The Jew and the pagan struggle with the exact same problem, sin. We're all fallen in Adam. And you can think about baptism. It just breaks my heart in this day and time. I was at a funeral not too long ago, and there was a liberal pastor who got up and talked about how that baptism had saved a particular woman when she was a young, a young woman. Baptism had united her to Christ. No! <laughs> not any more than circumcision saved anybody in the Old Testament time. It was a symbol of that great work of God, the Holy Spirit, and that's what he ends with. He says, listen, uh, if you claim that you're a Jew, but you don't love the Christ from the heart, you're not right with God. You've got an uncircumcised heart. And God will view that outward act as even something that will condemn you even more. Because you have rejected even that powerful testimony of the gospel that you need a Savior. And you young people and children who have had the sign of the covenant placed upon you, praise God. It is what your mama and daddy have done in obedience to what God says in his word. But understand that can't make you right with God. It is a powerful testimony to you, just like circumcision was to the Jew. You need a Savior. And the only one who can cleanse your heart is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who comes by His Spirit and washes your sin away. As you believe in Jesus, He makes you right with him and so that's the arguments that the Lord piles up in this chapter do you see that you need Jesus oh embrace him this day because he's the only one who can make us clean who can make us right and keep us right and do you struggle with sometimes thinking, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so? Oh, be careful. Because we are just like everybody else in this culture. We are just like everybody else apart from the grace of God. If you don't have a problem knowing that you're a man or a woman, you know why? That's God's grace to you. If you are attracted to the opposite sex and not the perversion of the same sex, you know why? That's God's grace to you. If you are one, and that's, that, that, that's just God's common grace. If you are one who sees that you need Jesus and you've repented of your sins and believed in him and you're now a child of God, you know why? The grace of God. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you're smarter. You know, when I was growing up, I wasted so many years watching cartoons. Years. I wasted years of time. And the only use I've ever been able to come up with is once in a while there's an illustration. And one of the cartoons I wasted my time watching was Jellystone Park. And you had Yogi and Boo Boo, these two bears. And every episode, 
Boo-Boo would get in trouble, and Yogi would come to his rescue, and then at the end of every episode, Boo-Boo would exclaim, Hey, hey, hey. Talking about Yogi now, who had figured it all out and gotten them out of the scrape. Hey, hey, hey. He's smarter than the average bear. And sadly, that was the attitude of so many, the preponderance of the Jews. You remember, the Pharisee goes to the temple and he prays. And he says, Lord, I thank you. He saw this tax collector, this publican standing over. And he said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that man. Oh. Oh, may God give us humble hearts to see ourselves. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're religious or an outright flaming pagan, we all need a Savior. And the only Savior is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, write these things upon our hearts. How we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the very core of our being, exposing us before you. And Lord, we tremble when we think of standing before you on that great day. Lord, for those who are apart from Jesus, there will be wrath and judgment and fury forever and ever in the lake of fire. Lord, for those who by your grace, have embraced you, Lord Jesus, and are evidencing uh, that simple childlike faith with a life seeking to please you and honor you. We're not saved by our works, Lord. We confess that and acknowledge that it's only your righteousness, Lord Jesus, that can stand in the throne room. And so, Lord, we look forward to the blessing and the glory and the honor and the immortality that we will enjoy in the bliss of heaven forever and ever. Oh Lord, how we thank you that all of our sin, when we trust in you, Lord Jesus, is covered with the blood. How we thank you, Lord, that our life now is to continue to follow you and humbly and, yes, boldly, Stand for you in this day. Give us grace to do so. We acknowledge we need you, Lord Jesus, to be our Savior. And the people around us, whether they're flaming pagans or whether they're good people, Lord, we all need you. Bless us now, Lord, as we continue to worship. In Jesus we pray. Amen.